Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 105th episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast. Yes, the countdown is on to our 125th episode where Al and I have something planned so magnificent, so amazing that we haven't even thought about it yet. It's going to blow your minds. Of course, I'm the jackass who's going to be hosting this podcast. My name is Bill Bodkin. I am the editor-in-chief of the site, and I am joined, as always, steering the boat through the sands of the Egyptian underworld. He is our own hippo goddess, Al Manorino. What's up, dude? What's up? What's up? I'm so excited about tonight. I'm also, me and you have had a a pretty rough week. uh, Yeah. For I was uh, on stage for work and I watched this episode uh, in maybe the best circumstances ever in a hotel gym while working out on an iPhone. So I I highly recommend it in terms Uh, of the experience. Or half whacked out of your head on anesthesia. Also a great way to do it. But let's get to our all-star panel because my I'm a little banged up in the uh, vocal cords. So I'm going to have the smart people on this podcast, which is our esteemed panel, do a lot of the dissection and discussion this week. We are joined back from the sleepy sands of time. He is not in international waters. Or so we think. He is the most resplendently named human being on the face of the planet and the host of the new exchange, Mr. Ken Grandpierre. Welcome back, my friend. It is so good to be back. It's nice to also have my eyes open and to see all of your smiling faces. Look at that. Everyone actually is smiling. Even Al's not smiling. He should be smiling. He's about to have a kid. Oh, he's smiling now. That's nice. Uh, <laughs> it's good to be back, especially talking about a show that is. Uh, very very interesting yes speaking of interesting uh he is someone who yells at flashbacks he points a stern finger at them and says i will get the belt if you ever do a flashback again yeah i went there don't worry it happened at a marvel show he is the podcast editor of thepopbreak.com. He is my co-host on both the TV break, which is dropping a new episode next week, and Bill versus the MCU, which dropped a podcast episode last week. He is the podcast editor of thepopbreak.com, Mr. Alex Marcus. Hello, Bill. Nice to talk to you today. Very excited to be here to talk about Moon Knight. Oh, ain't it? Ain't it? Don't you just love it when you make someone up just to get away from, you know, terrible trauma and talk about yeah you know you gotta take a break wherever you can sometimes it's just in your mind you know but it's worth it (laughs) it's totally worth it ain't it and uh speaking of in it as ken who's always in the uk is like i hate all of you this is not how british people talk you can i just say i was gonna do that for the whole episode but then this episode was so depressing that i couldn't possibly justify it (laughs) not at all but speaking of depression, we can justify. No, Spe- he is. <laughs> All right. Wow. <laughs> Talk the rails about- already. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Uh, he is the voice of reason on this podcast. He is our resonant guest. He is the associate editor and handsome devil from USA Insider, Tyler McCarthy. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, no, no one's kicked me off yet, so I appreciate that. You have well, not. Even though apparently I'm the, the voice or speaking of depression. <laughs> I've got a lot of great intros on this podcast. I'm digging it. Don't worry. we got at least one more for you next week. <laughs> uh, before we wait, before we rip everyone's hearts out of their chests and put them on a scale, let's talk. And 
which is my way of saying talk about the episode. Let us get uh, our relationship for our new guests. Uh, Ken, I'm going to start with you. Your th- relationship with Moon Knight prior to the series and your overall thoughts on the show so far heading into episode five. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. I think it was, it was a bit, my entryway through Moon Knight was through a video game weirdly. I want to say it was Marvel Ultimate Alliance out of the first to the second, which is like, yes. Yeah, it's like a hosh posh of just like all the superheroes. You get to like be in a squad with them. And if I remember correctly, in one of those games, Moon Knight is in it. And it's just kind of like, he's basically like just the weird dude that would just make weird depressing statements and the other heroes would just kind of look at him like, what is wrong with that guy? So I remember (laughs) being fascinated by that character, reading the comics. And then I think they have like a Max series, similar to like Punisher Max, the more adult version of like Marvel Comics and just being really struck by just how brutal it is and like how uh in terms of how the stories are written they're actually quite hard to follow because of how fragmented his mind is so when they announced they were doing like a moon night show my initial reaction was like oh by the medium of tv you do have to arguably streamline things a bit more so the comics are known for being very uh visceral and like for me i personally found them quite hard to follow after a certain point but they are really well done and like the writing is like really interesting but yeah, I think just having a general intrigue of the character is what, what made me want to delve into this. And uh, what are your thoughts so far on the show, uh, not including this episode we're currently in? Oh, oh, I have so many things to say. Uh, excluding this episode, I actually haven't been liking the show that much. I, there have been things that I've liked about it, uh, glimmers and... Um, things I've enjoyed as an overall show. It's kind of left a lot to be desired, but I will say in the context of this episode, I think it's the best episode so far. And I almost feel like a lot of, uh, if, if I've been hungry for a meal, I feel like this is the episode that finally had like some protein in it. It's a good yeah, way to describe it. Well said. We're going to be friends. I, I feel the same way. <laughs> oh, nice. Not a lot of empty carbs in this one. Not a lot of sweet tight chili Dorito uh, carbs in this one. Although yeah. those are, my God. Before uh, we pass on, can I actually point out something funny? Because uh, when the accent was going on earlier. Um, so funny enough, the accent he's doing on the show, not only is it an actual real British accent, but there's a little in-joke in there for people who actually live over there in the UK. And it's... Um, I figured like you guys might get a kick out of it in terms of like the structure of how he's speaking, how he's approaching it. If you live in the UK and you hear somebody talk like that, you could kind of imply how they grew up and like what their like kind of home life structure was, including like their adulthood. So there's a because the country is so small, like just the British Isle Island is um, there's just like a lot of like uh, stereotypes. So. If you were to hear someone like Oscar Isaac, Stephen Grant speak in the UK, you would infer like, oh, he's never like worked a hard day in his life. Like they would say it like soft hands. And considering that we see him working in a museum and being kind of brainy, it kind of tracks. So it's almost like the show is kind of giving a wink to people who live in the actual UK where you're supposed to like look at him and feel like, oh, this fucking guy. What a soft handed <laughs> son of a bitch. Um, let's go to a man with um, hands in the middle. Soft and hard. Good, good. Uh, I don't know. I didn't have anything. Guys, uh, I'm also coming off the NFL draft to like a super high for the Giants. <laughs> I'm also dead tired and drinking and some time it- tea. So I am just, I am all sorts of crazy right now. So Alex, sure. uh, you and I have, we've talked a little bit about this offline. 
Yeah. Your relationship with, did you have a relationship with Moon Knight? Did you read any of the comics or anything like that before going? I've never that? read any of the comics. Uh, I basically became aware of Moon Knight as a character probably around 2017 when he started to get floated as the a possibility for a Marvel movie in Phase Four. Uh, back when like bloggers were basically saying like, well, all of the ones that we thought might be long shots actually have gotten movies now, so maybe Moon Knight will get one too. And I remember thinking at the time, that's never going to happen. Um, so, but I didn't know about Disney Plus. So, uh, who knew that they were gonna like triple their output in uh, such a short amount of time? So yeah, I didn't know anything about him until then. At that point, I did look him up because I was like, I've never heard of this person, and I found out a lot about him, and it was very interesting. Uh, he seemed like the sort of character that you couldn't possibly make a show about or a movie because it was just like every iteration of him has like a slightly different backstory. His mental illness works slightly differently in each of the iterations that have happened, like depending on which writer is writing. And there's also like a number of other odd things Uh, like in the comics, apparently at some point he like has develops multiple personalities of like Captain America and Wolverine and Thor um, for a while. Uh, And yeah, so it's a lot of different stuff going on in that. So I I never actually read a comic though. I just, everything that I knew about him before this show was through a Wikipedia entry for the most part. And what, you know, through the first four episodes, what have you thought of the series so far? I would say that I've been pretty mixed on this show. It's definitely among the lower performers in terms of MCU offerings for me. Um, I wouldn't say that I dislike it, but I definitely think that it's a show that is highlighting a number of really strong performances, uh, but it's nestled inside of a sort of jumbled mess of a TV show. And I oftentimes get some like flashbacks to Netflix Marvel shows where it's just like, what is going on? Like we have these like interesting characters and these interesting people, but we don't have any idea what to do with it and with this budget and with this length of story that we're trying to tell. And so there's just a little bit of a confused sense for me that it has been kind of making it a little bit more difficult to invest in fully just because the plot is just not really engaging to me that much as much as I'm really enjoying Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke and Mae Kalamawe uh, and even F. Murray Abraham it's just like in service of what I'm not sure up until this past episode at least let's dive right into this episode in our first segment this is how we stay awake which of course is where I read the very oddly worded usually plot jumping wikipedia entry just so everyone can just um, remind everyone what the episode was about of course this is episode five the penultimate episode that's why alex is here because he's always on our penultimate episodes this is called asylum directed by mohammed diab written by rebecca kirsch and matthew orton the hippopotamus headed woman who grant identifies as the egyptian goddess tourette uh, Toiret, I should say, sorry, uh, explains to Spectre and Grant that they are dead and that the hospital is actually inside a boat sailing through the duat. She weighs their hearts on the scales of justice to determine whether they will be allowed to enter the field of reeds and advises each of them uh, to help each other to, um, mm-hmm. let me try that again, and advises them to help each other uncover hidden memories causing their imbalance. Grant sees a memory of Spectre's younger brother, Randall, drowning and Spectre's mother blaming him for it, while Spectre reveals to Grant how he became Conchu's avatar while on a mission with his partner, Bushman. Spectre and Grant convince uh, Toirette to let 
them return to the living world to stop Harrow, and she steers the boat towards the gates of Osiris. Dr. Harrow, in quotes, convinces Spectre that he has to fully open up to Grant, and Spectre reluctantly explains that he unknowingly created Grant as a result of their mother's abuse. Grant and Spectre reconcile with each other, but their scales fail to balance, causing hostile spirits to attack them. While fending them off, Grant is consumed by the duet. The scales are balanced, and Spectre finds himself in the field of reeds. All right. A lot happened in this episode. So let's talk about, let's go to the positive. In our segment, so beautifully titled, Holy Shit, It's Moon Night, where we talk about our favorite things in this episode. Um, Al, I know you'd like to keep it short and sweet, so I'm going to start with you first. This is tough. I think, I think. Wrong pick as always, Bill. No, I, it's t- it's tough for me because I think be- being the penultimate episode, it, you have like super high expectations, right? And I think this was probably the best episode, one of the best episodes. Um, it just felt for some like for a show that's six episodes long, they're trying to do what Mr. Robot did in like four or five seasons, right? Like it just kind of Mr. Robot-y in that in that instance um i i i think the i guess the best part would be their depiction of like this afterlife slash like like gateway entryway and then of course uh part of that being um them mentioning uh the afterlife in black panther i thought that was really cool Uh, the ancestral one thank you so yeah that's my short and sweet one, I guess. But I, I feel like we're going to have to kind of dissect this episode as a whole. Tyler, as you cough, uh, what is your what was your uh, favorite part of the episode? Um, you know, similar to Al, it's a struggle. Not a moment was wasted in this episode. I think they really covered a lot of ground. It's ground I wish they covered a few episodes ago or throughout the series a little more. But I think. Truly what struck me about this episode is we've been talking for the past few episodes saying we want the Mark backstory. We want, you know, to know what happens with Mark. And our theories have ranged everything from seeing what Mark was up to in that first episode, getting his perspective to just getting the story of, you know, his commando unit or mercenary unit or whatever, going with Layla's dad and how all that shook out. And I was very interested to see that we got all those answers we wanted but it was not by way of figuring out how he became Moon Knight. That was almost superfluous and is almost superfluous at this point. What we got was answers to his disassociative identity disorder, the reason for Steven's existence, um, possibly, and you know, foreshadowing my theories for later, the reason for this third person or third persona's existence. Um, so I feel like at this point, I'm not sitting on as many questions and they were delivered to me. The answers were delivered to me in a way that I was not expecting and i think that you know is commendable i think i haven't seen anything quite like this before it definitely the show as a whole has a pacing issue but this episode did a lot to fix its quality alex you have spoken to me and like i said about flashbacks mm-hmm. it's not something that you, you you're not a huge fan of it it went done poorly obviously how did you think, before I get into your favorite part, since I know this is something you've brought up in the past and I have talked about on the podcast, how did you feel the whole 
you know, reveal of Mark's past and the creation of Steven, how do you think that worked as a flashback? How do you think that was handled within the series? Did you like the way it was done? Yeah, so I am on record, I think even on this podcast, because I was here for the penultimate episode of WandaVision, which was also a very similar sort of episode, um, as just in general not being a fan of flashbacks in the in storytelling, whether it's film or television. Uh, I find it often to be kind of a crutch to kind of spoon feed information to audiences that disrupts the narrative flow and doesn't trust our actors to actually present information, both through dialogue and just through mannerisms and choices in their performance uh, that I really prefer. But that's not to say that I've never liked a, a flashback that's well executed. And I think that the reason why this episode works, despite relying heavily on flashback, is that it's not a flashback for the audience's sake. It's These are flashbacks where one of the characters are actively learning about information and another character is actively processing it in a therapeutic way and i think that that makes it much more dynamic and much more engaging than if it were just a you know i like five minutes of oscar isaac cut throughout the episode looking out a window pensively and then flashing back to like when he was a kid and he he saw a bird flying in the sky and that made him remember this time that his mom hit him with a belt right like that kind of flashbacking i hate but this is different this is an active storytelling choice where we're getting to see these two halves of the whole reconcile with the the traumatic events that broke them as people and i think that is much more effective so is that your favorite part of the episode? Uh, no, my favorite part of the episode specifically would be Oscar Isaac's performance as Steven. Uh, I'm kind of hot and cold on his performance as Mark. I feel like he kind of, as a way to differentiate the characters, I think he is maybe a bit too broad with uh, some of his performances with as Mark, even in this episode. But I think his performance as Steven is really excellent. And I found it particularly compelling the way that Steven was so had such a hard time at, at first kind of coming to grips with the fact that Mark had been putting him uh, on the outside and had been isolating him from all of the, these things and trying to convince Mark that he is strong enough to handle it. And then when he's confronted with these things, not only is he strong enough to handle it himself, but he's actually shows compassion for Mark so consistently. And that I thought was really moving because so much of Mark's impulse to uh, keep Steven in the dark is, as we've seen through this episode, is an act of love and an act of compassion, trying to spare Steven of, of what Mark is experiencing. And so for Steven to experience it and his first impulse is to have compassion for Mark is really moving. And I think that Oscar Isaac really ex executed that really effectively. Ken, what was your favorite? Holy shit, it's Moon Knight. What's your favorite part of the episode? Ooh, uh, that's a really good question. It's definitely the flashback, but more so what's inferred and not necessarily shown. I mean, if you think about the scene where they're in the room with uh, uh, the, like Mark as a child reverting to Steven and then the mother coming in and clearly about to spank uh, Mark, I mean, we all can infer what's happening, but the camera cuts away right before, you know, the impact, but everything is felt prior and there's a big skill in that. And uh, it's kind of interesting because that being my favorite part kind of speaks to like, I will definitely get into it when we talk about the negatives, but my overall thing I've been struggling with the series where 
I've really been struggling this whole time to find a reason to care. And I think it's one of those things for me, personally, as a viewer, when I go into movies and shows or anything, I, I really want a reason to care about what's being conveyed on screen. And I almost, this is definitely wish fulfillment and like, like Monday morning quarterbacking, but like there's a part of me that almost wishes that everything we saw here was shown in either the first or the second episode. But I do understand the functionality of a story is that we had to see Mark and Steven learn these things develop. I, I almost kind of wish maybe there was a way that we as the audience learned and they were kept in the dark much earlier on because it's it's hard for me to retroactively go back and have this compassion for Steven and Mark, but it does make me feel more invested now. So I guess that is like kind of the give and take, but yeah. For me, the best part is when Steven says, but I'm also you. And I also can basically realizes that I have this physical power as he realized earlier that he has the emotional power on the same, maybe even more than Mark. I mean, he is part of Mark, but he's been the one who's, it's so funny that we see the role reversal throughout the entire series. Mark created Steven to be the, the, the one without fear to be the, 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 the brave one. And because he named him after the, 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 the terrible movie character, Stephen Grant shot in my backyard, you know, 12 minutes before it went to rendering. Um, so, uh, but he created him yet the role reversal of that. Steven actually became the, the one who was always afraid. And Mark was the, the hero. That's what we thought the brave one, but it turns out it was really the other way around. And when Steven realizes that, and he confronts the, sand zombies for lack of a better term uh and saves mark's life but ultimately sacrifices himself and then everything is balanced it's like this that was the moment of the show for me that is the great moment of just it's sad to see steven go but steven had to die in order for mark to fully become a like a full person obviously there's all these rumors we saw the third sarcophagus so something else is out there probably so we see him come. We see him come full circle as he enters heaven. So uh, as he enters the last scene from Gladiator. Um, so he. So I'm. I was really. I was so. It was such a great moment to see Stephen become a hero, even though he's done heroic things. There was no like kind of bump. You know, Hugh Grant. You know, charming buffoon type aspect like we saw him with Mister Knight we see him just become the hero and become brave and then ultimately ends up sacrificing himself uh, to save himself. So that to me, it was the best part. It, it's, it sealed the deal and kind of leads into what um, the, uh, Oh, look, the idiot is back. Would we talk about our least favorite part of the episode? And um, we're left with more questions. God damn it. It's just like, we're just like, so when you're like, we're taking you to the gates of Osiris, but he ends up in, in the end of Gladiator. He ends up in the field of reeds and you're like, okay, there's Hawaiian music playing in the background. Are you in heaven? How are you getting back, man? Like that's to me, it's just like, we answered so many questions and I get, you want to leave it on a cliffhanger. I've, I've seen a movie before, but at the same time, it's just like, give me a clear thing here not worth here's another thing we have to spend 10 to 15 minutes figuring out how you get out of you know egyptian underworld heaven ancestral plane whatever you are in 
where, how are you getting out? Is this next episode an hour? Because I feel like this is a lot to get out of this afterlife. You don't have a, this is the matrix. You don't have the key master to open a door. Mm, Doesn't he though? Well, I don't know. They haven't shown that person yet. I don't know if Hippo, I don't know if Hippo Goddess is going to get us out. No, she's not going to get us out. They've got to establish this third personality. Get Mark out of the afterlife. Rescue Khonshu. Stop Arrow. I, it would be great if they could bring Steven back. You know, there's there's a lot there's, to cover in one there's episode. There's a big honey-do list for this finale, and it is ah. like, <laughs> you gotta... Uh, so to who, me, wants to, who wants to make a bet? I know how he's gonna get out. Who well, wants to make yeah, a bet? I also we think have, I know how he well, gets out. We have <laughs> it feels a, like it's right there for us. Yeah, but it's not for me. So that was left well, to you with a question with my, me, my frustration. So before we get into thoughts and theories, because we don't know for sure, let's get okay. whatever, whatever, what else's bugaboo was besides bear traps and old ladies. So, and that's a stepbrothers reference for anyone who didn't get it. Um, so Ken, you had um, alluded to this a little bit earlier when you were talking about your favorite stuff. What was, what didn't work in this episode for you? Ooh. Or your least favorite part, I should say. Uh, yeah, that's so. I, I kind of feel similar to Tyler and how this episode kind of had everything I wanted, and like no time was wasted. I guess, interestingly enough, it's fascinating with a show called Moon Knight, and we didn't even see him in the suit in this episode. But well, you see well, him for like a, a minute, for, for a second. Yeah, true. Yeah, it, it's interesting where I kind of went into this series wanting that Moon Knight dynamic. And watching this episode made me realize I didn't really care so much for it. But I guess maybe that's almost like a weird thing where I almost wish you could have it both ways. And maybe there was a world that existed in which you did. Because if you think about it, fascinatingly enough, if you like look back on the episodes, we barely really see him in the suit or really do a lot of stuff in the suit compared to like other superhero shows and movies. So. I guess them incorporating that more would have been nice, but arguably they it's like Tyler said, they didn't waste a moment. Uh, uh, Al, what didn't work for you in this episode? Well, there was no suit in this one because it costs a zillion dollars every time they put that suit on. I've complained almost every episode that I hate the suit um, because it's not, <laughs> it's not practical at all. And it looks, looks like it. And that's what's a, a big issue on my end. Um, yeah, I, I guess the, the the worst part of this episode, you know, t- Tyler already alluded to it, is just there's so much to cover in this finale. And uh, while the episode was great and we finally got our flashback episode and all that kind of nonsense, um, we still have so much to jam pack into the next one. I think that's going to be a disservice because that happens a lot with these Marvel shows especially with one that's only six episodes. Um, yeah, but like, I mean, I really did love all the performances. I love the the way in which they kind of went back um, in the past and things like that. Um, are they going to just brush over that there was a third sarcophagus? Like, we're just, well, we're just. When, when uh, Paulette was like, let's like, you guys need to go back in there and figure out the thing you're missing. That's what I thought. I was, it was shocked be. they didn't just do a beeline to the third sarcophagus. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Now, if that, like, cause that's the kid is Mark when he is younger. So that is not yeah. a personality. No. Yes. I, 
I think that, I mean, you said that you want to hold off on theories, but Whatever. my theory on this yeah, is... Like, formats are there. Just, it's like, <laughs> more like guidelines. It's fine. Don't worry. Sure, yeah. of course. Um, I think, honestly, this is the... the the third personality is just a tease that's being set up for a future Moon Knight thing. I think that it's going to be like we get to a resolution between Mark and Steven and they've saved the day and they're like, we finally got our stuff together. And then it's like cut to he becomes Jake, the other personality. And they're like, uh oh, season Moon Knight season two. You know, I think that's kind of where we're headed because the teases have been so minor at this point that to insert it into the final episode in a major way would be incoherent. It just wouldn't they wouldn't be able to land that, I don't think. So I think that it would work better as just we're getting we're teasing it now. So that way we kind of have this kind of like uh oh moment at the end of the finale. Uh, Which is a very Marvel Disney thing to do. Very, very much so. I've avoided saying that name. Yeah, episode, oh, by the way, it's fine. I mean, it's no, very we, well known. We knew about this like episode, two, like beginning in yeah. episode two. So I had, like, uh, but I there's... had read a couple of the graphic novels, um, especially one that particularly went into that character. So yeah, uh, it's a really it's cool. a big part of his like known like yes, origins, and sure. also you know the. It should be said that in those like the end credit scene or the end credits every week, it has Oscar Isaac split into three multiple times. So they're not hiding the fact that he's supposed to have three personalities. They just are. But if you're listening and you consider the name Jake a spoiler, you are you are not our kind of nerd. That is all. (laughs) There's also been like someone posted and I'd have to find the article that there is a glimpse of Jake in when he opens Alexander the Great's sarcophagus, where it's a it's a picture of it's a like a split second shot of Oscar Isaac with a full blown Burt Reynolds mustachio. Um, supposedly, By the way, he would, he would play the shit out of Jake. Like I can't wait to like. I thought you he, meant if he, they, like if they remade Smokey and the Bandit, Oscar Isaac would be great. I also also good. That. Well, so I don't I don't know much about I know nothing about Jake other than his name and that he's a potential third. Uh, person but you know nothing in this show is by accident and the very first time i'll say oscar isaac was in the room with dr harrow his face was all beaten up and they don't really explain what that's about and it really seemed like he was putting on like a thick sort of brooklyn accent so i'm wondering if like that first interaction where his face was all messed up with dr harrow and he gets a little homicidal with like the sharp crystal pyramid that definitely shouldn't be on a doctor's uh, desk. <laughs> if that was perhaps like this new, this Jake persona, because all we know as show viewers about this potential third person is he's in a red sarcophagus. He's banging really loudly and he straight up murdered those um, people in Cairo. So yeah. maybe that was. Yeah. We keep forgetting about that. When I say we and me. <laughs> I do keep forgetting about that. I like how they did bring the one guy back who always licked the knife as one of the sand zombies. I was like, all right, he came back. That did they, was he? Knife yeah, licker. He comes back. So one of the person is this woman with a baseball bat. There's a guy he's holding the knife in his his mouth, and I think there's uh, there's another guy. I don't know if he was. I don't know where he was from, but. Uh, okay, I lost track of what didn't work. So, Tyler, what didn't work for you in this episode? Sure. Um, very similar to what everyone else said, you know, the, and what I sort of said before. There's definitely a pace issue with this show uh, that this episode did a lot to cover. Like, 
not a moment was wasted, but there are still a lot of questions. I don't fully understand as they explained what the asylum is. I don't fully understand Ethan Hawke or Harrow's presence within it. I don't understand the utility he has within Steve and Mark, possibly Jake's mind. Um, But I guess in the interest of saying something a little more just direct, um, I think if this is, and I doubt it is, but if this is sort of the long-term death of Steven, that's kind of a bummer. Uh, that said, the the poetic nature, like Bill was saying before, of this story of Steven learning that he was born to sort of rescue Jake from this trauma, and then he dies by literally rescuing Jake from being pulled into the abyss. Yeah. His story has like a full arc, and if they did end it here, it's it's a great story. Uh, but that said, I want a little more of, uh, I somehow, I've grown to like it. I'm going to miss the accent. Um, oh, you're going to miss out, me, governor. Oh, right. Shout out to my fiance who like heard us and everyone else like making fun of Oscar Isaac for this accent. When the episode ended, she gave me like the, well, 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 the Juilliard trained actor was playing the <laughs> long con. It's a American child's best approximation of a British accent. You fools in Isaac. We trust. Well, first off, I like to give your, your fiance uh, credit for actually listening to this podcast as Al and I have famously said, our wives have never listened to it. So just probably for the best. Oh, for sure. Allie, love you, babe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least Ken's dog listened, his, his old dog listened to us uh, one time. Um, he was on it. Um, but so let's, um, let's talk about that. You brought something up interesting there. It's the presence of Harrow within um, Mark, Stephen, and possibly Jake's um, this whole world they've created uh i can i can talk about that oh well i would love for you to talk about that okay so i understand why it's a little confusing and i think part of the if i was to answer the question of what doesn't work for me i was kind of torn between this aspect of the episode and one other thing that i'll save for my other answer but the way that this is working is that the show wants us to at some point think well maybe he actually is in the asylum and everything else is a hallucination but then at some point they want us to realize that no actually the hallucination is the asylum and harrow is there as a figure because mark is constructing this asylum setting as an escape as a mental escape from the reality of being in the underworld because he doesn't want to be number one dead number two like have lost to harrow and number three he doesn't want to confront these really intense traumatic moments and so every time that he starts to confront that and he resists that's when we get flashed back into the alternate asylum world where harrow is there trying to get him to open up and it's kind of it's an interesting use of harrow in the sense that from mark's perspective mark doesn't want to open up doesn't want to confront the trauma so he has cast the villain of his story as the person pushing him to open up and and get through this trauma that's why he is the doctor in this setting but i personally feel like that was one level too much for a single episode to deal with. And it was like a fun cliffhanger for the last week's episode. But I feel like when we're already in an insane asylum that is 
uh, the cover of an Egyptian underworld, I don't think we also need a second level of surreality on top of that. It just, I don't really, you could still play with the idea of like, maybe he's imagining this without having like a fully second reality being played in the background. But that is how it's functioning in the episode. So like, it makes sense, but it's just, it's needlessly complicated, I think. And what else didn't work for you? The other thing that didn't work for me is honestly the the presentation of child abuse, I think, in this episode. I know that's such a core part of this episode, and it certainly is emotionally impactful in certain ways. But just the way that we get a single, very brief moment of happiness between like this whole family, right? Uh, where the mom seems like the world's nicest best mom and she seems to have like an amazing relationship with both of the kids and then like this terrible tragedy happens and then she's not and then she just starts yelling at her at her son and is incredibly awful to him and then is incredibly abusive from that point on i feel like they tried to just give us light shadings of that arc in a way partially because we didn't have a lot of time but i think also because even though we're dealing with something that's very heavy, they don't want to kind of really immerse us in it too much because it's supposed to be a fun Marvel show at the end of the day, right? So they don't want to give us like an hour of family drama and of with child abuse and, and depression and tragedy and mental illness. Like that's just too much, I think. So they tried to have a light touch, but what it ended up doing was creating kind of a cartoonish idea where like she was like this amazing mom and then suddenly she was a horrific monster and then she's off screen and it's like it just it didn't that didn't work for me the way that I think that they wanted it to I think it would be better if you actually spent the time to commit to telling that very sad story if you're going to do it I don't think you can kind of do it halfway when it's something so like intense otherwise you're just doing a disservice to it Tyler Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I I will note that I I thought the same thing, and I I actually went back and rewatched that barbecue scene, the like idyllic family scene, and I did notice that. So it, it they are doing the like you know happy family thing, but then her interactions with Mark in that moment are scolding him for lightly, but scolding him for making fun of the fish drawing, and then pulling him back and being like, remember, like if you're going out. What do, you have to take care of your brother. That's your only purpose. Um, she doesn't say that in the subtext, but uh, and then from there on out, like she is, uh, like Alex was saying. So there is there there is a little bit of subtlety in that she's not perfect to Mark, but then you know exactly what Alex said. The rest of it from there on out is about as subtle as a train wreck. She's boozily yelling at him on his birthday and all of that stuff. And and yeah, there's definitely something to be said there about how that was how that sort of progressed but there was some subtlety to that early family scene whether i'm giving the show a little bit too much credit or not i don't know but i i think for me like they were cliff they were pushing the fast forward button on a lot of stuff like we've seen some heavy stuff with marvel before and i even feel like adding 30 seconds to show the mother's grief for development or even show her just being a, a like a normal everyday happy mom like i think we would that would have been more gravity to that but I think they were kind of pushing aside, like you said, with time, because the whole thing was don't go to the room, don't go to the room, don't go to the room. That was more important, it felt like, of not going to the room and going upstairs than it was seeing the, like, to really dive into, like you were saying, Alex, to dive into, like, the mother's 
you know, mental state and the actual abuse and how bad it was. They were just trying to get to this. They were trying to shade you from the reveal. It was ultimately to do a reveal of how he became Steven and that moment where he um, he rolls his eyes in the back of his head. And all of a sudden it's like, hello, I'm Steven. You know what I mean? Like that moment is, oh, it's this big aha moment, but it kind of is. And it lessens the actual it feels like it lessens to me the actual trauma of what he went through. It was just like, mom's not coming downstairs because she for my birthday because she's drunk. It's like there's better, more impactful stuff. Like, I think the part where he breaks down crying in the street sells so much yeah. as opposed to any of the kids stuff, because it was just they were they were just trying to build suspense to the reveal. That's why I felt they were doing instead of diving into the trauma. Uh, Alan and Ken, if you guys want to jump in on any of this. I want yeah, to jump well, in. Oh, oh, no. go. oh go, go. yeah, sorry. I was just going to say the way all of that was framed in terms of presentation, it kind of felt like a core lust of what we experienced earlier in the series where uh, Steven will black out and go into Mark and then wake back up and not know how he got somewhere. It almost felt like it was hearkening back to the jumpiness of that, like whether, I mean, I'm sure it's definitely part of the pacing. Cause like Tyler said, it's true. I, I agree. This whole show's had pacing issues, but I felt like the skittish nature of how all the flashbacks played out kind of resemble things that we've seen previously in the show before. And it kind of made me think in terms of Mark, like you were saying, Bill, Mark proactively trying to keep Steven away. It was almost like the, the flashbacks only went so far because it was like being roadblocked in a way. So I don't know if I'm giving the show too much credit, but it does kind of feel a bit holistic in that context also. Yeah, I think that that's definitely the intent. I, I just think that that does end up trivializing a story that is really serious, you know, and it's like if you're going to tell the story, then you should tell the story. You shouldn't tell it as like a magic trick that has a big reveal at the end, you know, like it's really dark stuff that they're talking about. And to be clear, I'm not saying that I wanted to see an hour of child abuse. I don't want to see any child abuse, but I'm just saying that if we're going to tell a story about trauma, destroying a family and destroying the psyche of basically the entire family like let's actually see that and let's have steven experience it because the whole point is that he's learning this stuff for the first time so let's actually see him experience this and that means more than just having quick snippets every few minutes bouncing in and out of their timeline you know what i mean i felt mm -hmm. steven was more affected by the fact the mom was dead than the actual abuse yeah I think that was well, a, I think that was initial. Yeah, I was I, well, initial. I think he like Pretty it's wrong. clear that part of Steven's personal psychosis is being in denial over the fact that the mom is dead. Yeah. So that big moment of him, it is like a big breakthrough that he's resisting at first. But I think in terms of what emotionally impacted him, the realization that he is the altar, not yeah, the primary personality, which is what is given in that scene in the bedroom is definitely probably the hardest thing for him to come to terms with. They're, they're yeah. almost separate like arcs in a way, like Steven, like Alex just said, coming to terms with the fact that he is not the primary is one thing, but there was also a lot of balancing the scales in this episode. And that seemed to take the form of, breaking down the separation between Mark and Steven. And I think the mother was one of those ways, like when, when Mark is, when Steven asks Mark earlier in the episode, we have to go back into that room. Like you have to do it for Layla. You have to do it for this. And he says the words that his mother said, like if Layla dies, it's all your fault. And that's when Mark starts beating himself and oh. they go away. That's Mark sort of 
coming to terms with the fact that I have to face this. And then Steven is also doing that. Like, it seems like he knew because Arrow calls and Steven is forced to finally admit like she's dead. And there's a dial tone on the end of that phone. And that I think are the things that are helping these scales balance. It's shedding this compartmentalization that Mark or Steven or whomever has, has come up with. Um, I, I, it, it, I'm not saying anyone's wrong. I'm just saying those are two weird, those are two very heady things yeah. that were separate, but equal in this episode. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I was going to say, I, I, I see why they did what they did because they kind of set up with him calling his mom in the beginning and, you know, that whole mystery that gets kind of, that gets resolved here. Obviously I just felt it was odd, like looking back and talking about things that I didn't like was that his, you know, mental, you know, disorder or whatever you want to call it, uh, dissociative identity disorder, Mm -hmm. um, that it was like not something he was like born with or kind of always had or developed later. Like it was brought on by trauma. And is that like, that's, that is how it happens. That is how it happens. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like the, the depiction of, of DID dissociated identity disorder in media, including this is not exactly how it works in real life. Um, but what is true is that it always occurs as a result of trauma, that the, okay. the, the trauma Sorry. has a, has occurred that is so deeply shattering that another personality will emerge to help cope with that trauma. It's okay. a good question. So, I went to the internet and looked that up as well. Like, can you, uh, can you be born with the ID or I know. Alex, Alex is a mental health professional. So if anyone's going yeah. to know, he, he you know, so that's well. my <laughs> Well, I mean, okay. No, so, I mean, yes. you don't have it. I'm so I, somewhat. Yes, I, somewhat I am a mental health professional. I don't have an MD, so I can't diagnose people, but I can. I do at least okay. know about this. Yeah. I, I, I somewhat retract that, and then I just want to go. <laughs> it's a good question. It is a good question. Yeah. People I should ask. Well, and you honestly, before you before you move on, though, I think something that's interesting about the way that DID is being presented here, which is. <laughs> again, not necessarily true to life, but is very interesting from a storytelling perspective, is that typically when you see in media characters have dissociative identity disorder, uh, what will happen is that an alter will emerge, right? A new personality will emerge in order to protect the primary personality from the abuse that is being inflicted. So they will come out, they will absorb all of the abuse that is being Mm -hmm. inflicted, and then they will go away and the primary will come back intact, not having experienced this. And what's really interesting about how it's presented here is that that is not the case. What is the case is that Mark has created Steven to basically embody the innocent part of himself the part that he can then protect in the way that he couldn't protect his brother. So he is actively taking on all of the abuse so that way he can protect this one core part of himself, which is letting him replay the dynamic of not being able to protect his brother over and over again. And that is really, I think, emotionally compelling. It makes me very emotional just thinking about it. And then also thinking about how that gets resolved in this episode where that younger brother who is and who Mark feels is in need of his protection is the one that comes and saves him and sacrifices himself, I think is really beautiful and probably the best thing that this show has to do. I like, I don't see anything happening next week. That's going to top the emotional impact of that dynamic playing out the way it did. Well, yeah. Well said. 
Yeah, it was very well said. That, the only thing is, I, I will say, <laughs> going back to the thing I didn't like about this episode, it's <laughs> it's literally the plot of Mr. Robot. And I just feel like that's kind of like, I don't know, not good writing on Marvel. Well, like Marvel's it's also plot. the plot of One Life to Live uh, in the in the mid 90s. So it's like dissociative identity disorder storylines have kind of happened a lot in media over the years. Is that a soap opera? Yeah, it's a soap opera. Oh, because it looks like was wait, it like know. beat for beat the same thing? Because it's kind well, of. Well, I mean, they weren't in the Egyptian underworld. <laughs> no, no, but like in terms of like <laughs> the reason the trauma is caused and the the person. Yeah, it's like DID stories. Unfortunately, have a somewhat similar rhythm that we see Those over parents, time in a lot of. Those parents being shitty. Yeah, parents are terrible. Um, like in in One Life to Live, spoilers for a storyline from thirty years ago. Um, but there's a character called Vicky uh, Lord Buchanan, and she develops a dissociative identity disorder because she actually murders her father, who was an Fuck. abusive monster. Uh, and then she develops the personality Nikki, because her name is Vicky, so her alter is Nikki. Um, and then and and then she causes chaos throughout the town because of it, because it's like her her unbridled id uh, mm. and. Uh, yeah, and and they definitely they have a confrontation inside of her brain. There's like a number of other alters who kind of like navigate the, and it all oh, happens, yeah. and it's very exciting. <laughs> and that's you know that's way before Mr. Robot. So yeah, that is true. Uh, Ken, you wanted to add something? Oh yeah, just well in the context of theor- theorizing, but I also it kind of ties into <laughs> what Alex was saying about now feeling like next week's episode's gonna you know, surpass this. I have a question, a general question for everyone. It is a theory, but I think we've all seen movies and TV shows before. So I think we kind of know what's going to happen in terms of Mark now being in paradise, uh, the reeds and, you know, heaven. uh, How do we feel about knowing that he'll most likely get out due to the power of love, due to the power of love for Layla, which probably magically get him out. And I, I hate this love story. It doesn't even really exist. It's so boring. Aww. It's so oh, uh, Steven and her were great. Yeah. Oh, I, I think they have a was... nice little love triangle between the three of them. Uh, it just, it's, it feels just so tactile. Like the episode before this one, where we find, found, found out the dynamic of what happened with her father and like the stuff Mark was um, keeping from her. Yeah. I was like sat watching it and I actually said out loud to myself, I was like, who cares? yeah i'll agree with you there i don't think that the i don't think that they needed a tragic backstory to their love affair like i don't think Uh, that steve that mark needed another secret to have to like that's such an annoying trope in my opinion in general and like it they just don't need this here he already had an entirely different personality inside of him doing stuff and then was also keeping secrets from her on top of that we don't need a third level of of deception like come on that was that's been my that's been, I think, our like we've just been beating that drum of why so many questions, why no answers, and it was just like I said that when he revealed when it was revealed about her dad was murdered, I'm like, no, you don't need this. You <laughs> yeah, don't. But I'm, I'm at least glad that they going to be attached to it, and it's like, oh, you know, I'm glad they dispatched with it pretty quickly. I'm yeah. glad they didn't let that linger at least. But I, the part of their love story that I think works is the two actors have great chemistry with each other, and I agree that the writing isn't really there to support it. But when they're together in a scene, like you, they have a connection that's really strong, and and also interestingly different between the two sides of you know Mark between Mark and, and Steven. So I feel like that the actors are really bringing it. Along 
along, which is a common kind of uh, opinion that I have of the show in general. The like the the material isn't always where you want it to be, but the actors are really landing it. Like even for instance, the uh, the asylum where Ethan Hawke is is the head doctor. I've already said my complaints about that, but I think Ethan Hawke in those scenes is is phenomenal. He's so, so great. He's he's so good at st- like capturing a portion of who Arthur Harrow has been while still like twisting it into this entirely other thing that services this aspect of the story. He's just so great, and I I mean I love him in general, and I think he's so good here. So I I, I think that's he's a doing a lot thing. of heavy lifting too. And oh, I'm sorry, I totally talked over you. I apologize. No, 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 no that's oh, fine. Oh. But yeah, I agree. He's giving so much exposition. It's almost entirely exposition that his performance is and yet he feels so fun and engaging and you kind of want to go back to that world just to see him with his slicked back hair and his mustache and stuff you know he, he i don't want him to die because i feel like we haven't gotten enough of him like i i want i like i pretty much figure he will but like there's he's so good in the performance i'm like yeah we, we got to figure a way to keep him around somehow but let's before we get into thoughts and theories, let's get into probably what's going to be our quickest segment, which is going to be summon the suit, which is who gave the best performance. Um, so instead, are we all in agreement here that it's Oscar Isaac for this one, for this episode? Yeah, yeah. I, I have a few key moments I could point to. Yeah, but like, so I, I want to ask you, what was our what was the moment for you that it was it was it was Oscar Isaac? Al, Oscar Isaac best performance of the episode what was the best moment for you for me i already oh. mentioned, i already mentioned mine which was steven realizing he was he was he was on 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 level with mark and sacrificing himself that was my moment uh it's a it's a mark uh one two punch for me it's the um him hitting himself moment and then him crying in the street oh I and him cried. fully break fully breaking down and i have cried cuz yeah that that is like we never see why Mark would want to become Steven like voluntarily. Right. And this is like the moment he like comes back. He's been Mark for a long time, it seems. And I just like love how he had to get to that point where he did not want to be in that situation anymore. Cause he was so sad. And I was like, wow, crushed it. Just nailed it. And they did the a thing I haven't seen in a superhero show before where someone invokes, like, the villain's going to win. The world's at stake. The girl's going to get hurt. And he's still like, fucking no, I'm not going back in that room. That's interesting to me. That That's, like, the depth of that trauma right there. Yeah. So, Tyler, was that the moment for you? Like, the big... Uh, that was a good that was definitely a good one i think the one that really like made me the most emotional though was the moment um mark having learned everything i'm sorry steven having learned everything about how he came to be has a moment where he looks at mark and he sees how mark came to be and steven actually like forgives mark and he he lets mark off the hook a little bit and says like you were a kid, like your brother dying. It wasn't your fault and you didn't deserve all of that. And it was just this beautiful moment where you have Steven sort of coming full circle with his whole story and being Mark's protector, being the one to shield Mark from this trauma. You have Mark showing who he really is and 
coming to terms with all of these things he was trying to hide from Steven for his benefit, for Mark's benefit, what have you. And what's great is it's, it's Oscar Isaac. Again, I think I said this in one of the other episodes, this had to have been Oscar Isaac, like acting against a tennis ball. He's acting against himself and he's like doing a great job. And that's, that was the moment for me that I was like, there's, there, there's some special sauce here. Ken, what was your uh, best uh, Oscar Isaac moment in the episode? Uh, it very much was similar to Al said him on the street and the hitting, but I think the big reason why for me, and it was probably more so that him hitting himself is just the, it's very striking to see someone wanting to escape and real acting out because they can't. And I, I think what's interesting is that from everything we saw prior in the context of the series is that even though Mark is quite aggressive, we're supposed to get the sense that he's very level-headed. And I think this episode did a great job of showcasing that's not the case while still uh, evoking a sense of empathy for that. So that really spoke to me because I thought like that, yeah, it's like Tyler said, you don't really see that in a superhero thing, like film show or ever. So Alex, uh, what about you? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I said it earlier and then Tyler did a great job of speaking about it in more depth. But it's that moment of real compassion that that Stephen has for Mark and that incredible vulnerability that Mark has and lets Stephen see, which is such a, a big moment for the two of them. I think that is. And the fact that you get to see both of those characters in such an incredibly intense emotional moment and knowing that it's one person acting both parts uh is really yeah it's i think that's the that's the moment all right let's uh let's move on to uh a happier moment i guess a little segment uh uh uh, where we talk about our thoughts where we talk about our theories which is called steven trust me which obviously (laughs) you shouldn't have uh but can i go first oh yeah because yeah so this is the segment where we're we're going to talk about going to the finale how is this show going to end so guys how's it going to end end credits we've talked about it every episode so gotta talk about it here uh other connections other things that are mentioned alex floor is yours Okay, so I think that this show is telling us everything we need to know about how Mark gets out of the afterlife. I don't think it's through the power of love exactly. I think that a big thing that we didn't see this week is what Layla has been up to. And I think obviously Layla knows that if she breaks Conchu out of his prison, uh, like like statue, whatever, uh, he can bring Mark back to life because he's done it before. He has the power of, of bringing, of healing and reincarnation or whatever. And so I think that what is going to happen very quickly in the opening of this next episode is that Layla is going to, you know, raid the temple of Giza, I guess, or maybe run into that, that avatar that we know from the middle episodes who was said to be a friend of Kanchu. I think it was like the god the goddess of music or music. something like that. Yeah. And so I think she's probably going to run into that avatar. She's they're going to sh- that avatar is going to bring her into the pyramid of Giza. They're going to break Kanchu out. Kanchu is going to resurrect Mark. Mark is going to only care about bringing Steven back to life. And then and Kanchu is probably going to be like, "Well, you have to do what I'm asking you to do in order to save your little brother Steven." Um and then he's going to agree to to be like, you know, the Moon Knight avatar again in order to save Steven. And we're just, and then he'll vanquish Harrow and, and then uh, Steven will come back and everyone will be happy. And then all of a sudden there'll be a new personality that causes a big problem. 
Okay. Al, I'm sure you have. So Alex said already everything that's going to happen for the most, for the most part, like I'm not going to go into like his level of detail of writing the episode, but uh, I I will say that the actual ending and or after credit um, is going to be a somewhat known and or brand new Marvel character new to us in the sense that we have not seen them yet. Blade being the example, or for some cool reason, my theory that they're going to bring uh, Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider into the mix, which I think would be really cool. Because I can't really think of anything else that would make sense. Or Werewolf by Night is what or Werewolf by Night, but but we're getting argument. we're going to get him in his own thing, so it'd be but, weird that we're going to get him previously because no one's not going to know who he is. Yeah, but the thing that's interesting about that is that we know that a Werewolf by Night Halloween special is coming. Uh, they sure. have Disney has not officially announced it yet, which is weird because it is done filming. Like this is yeah. the first time since Black. Like when they announced Black Widow officially, it was in the middle of filming, but everyone knew it was going to happen. This yeah. like this show is done. Like they've wrapped it. Everything else. There's been leaks about casting news, but they have not officially announced that it's coming yet. And so you would imagine they're holding back for a reason. And and given the connection between Moon Knight and Werewolf by Night in the comics, I assumed for a long time that that would be the case here. But it seems like I just can't think of how they would justify it now, seeing Thank the show you. that we've seen. So that's my big question. I do think that there is another character who is in an upcoming project for Marvel that we also have not seen conspicuously that might be popping up. Um, who would that be? Do you, uh, well, we know that the villain of the new Thor movie, Thor Love and Thunder, uh, played oh, by yeah. Christian Bale, is yeah, called uh, Gore the God Butcher. Uh, and we know yeah, that he was not it. in the trailer inexplicably because it's I mean, you know, by now we know that Marvel movies are are like forward their heroes. They're they're not centering their villains as much, but there's usually at least one or two shots of a villain in a tra- trailer, even a teaser trailer. We didn't get anything of that at all. So I think maybe we get a kind of a post-credit scene of Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher killing some Egyptian gods um as a as a tease for Thor, which is coming in two months. So so you don't good. drop, a, you don't drop something like the Overvoid for no reason. I think that's definitely <laughs> possible. That's great. That's really great because um we've met yeah that, fit, I, that fits his mo like the the jason aaron uh asad ribic god of thunder arc it's a um like century spanning right mm-hmm. like throughout so um i think i think that would be amazing so like literally gore the god butcher he like comes into contact with him and thinks he defeats him very early on in his thoring and then you see that he Kind of has to, yeah, has to kind of fight him over time. Um, so very interesting. And I think that would be cool. But again, weird in the sense that, like, we know we are getting him in Thor. Shouldn't but it, we? It's Christian it. Bale. Like, it's like he's he's Batman, right? He's one of the most famous stars on the planet. And they didn't put him in the trailer to their movie. Yeah, there has a to teaser, be a reason. Though. There's a teaser, though. I don't think they even need to release another trailer. But, that's yeah, but like in the, the teaser for Thor Ragnarok, like Hela is in that teaser. Like, it's like only the one. And it's the yeah, scene right. where she shatters Mjolnir. And you're like, oh, gosh, what's she like? She must be so powerful. Like, you usually have at least one shot of the tra- of the villain in there. But so they saw the, the fact that he, you see the so damage. Famous, you see the damage that he did. 
Like you've seen, like you, yeah, yeah. You, you see a dead god in the trailer. Which but is only a- if you like went on Reddit afterwards and were like, oh, that wasn't a mountain, that was a god. Okay, like otherwise, I don't. Most people wouldn't know that that's what that was a picture of. Regardless, I still think it's very <laughs> odd to, you know, because Moon Knight is net new. Mm-hmm. Christian Bale, Gore the Godbutcher, net new. Like we need to get Moon Knight into the MCU somehow. Yeah. Like actually into the MCU proper. What is the link, right? What who, who where is our uh what's her name from uh uh what's this uh, Rosario No, your your Rosario Dawson, how they oh. did in the Netflix shows. She's she's like, she's busy putting on her orange uh face makeup right now. Exactly. So what I'm just saying is like that's the that's what <laughs> There needs to be a connective tissue and not probably, more questions. Do you see Gore the God Butcher who you've never Morbius. seen before? <laughs> do they care more about getting Moon Knight into the MCU or do they care more about getting asses in theater seats for Thor Love and Thunder? Oh, yeah, I and I think care. like I by implication, care. by putting Gore there, it does connect him to the MCU in the in so far as connecting the Egyptian gods that we're seeing now with the gods that we know, like Thor and Loki and future gods that we're going to see, like Zeus. No, I, I think logically I think be, your stuff makes sense. Like logically. <laughs> Wait, Just, I need you to know that, but Ken, you can jump in. I, I think I think we're overcomplicating things. As great as it would be to see Gore, I think it's just going to be Wong again, like on Shang Chi. I think Wong is going to show up at the end. And Listen, say, hey, he's I, the guy. I need you. Hey, hey, hey! Come over he's the, here. He's the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, I'd be but, fine with. I'm always happy to see Wong. So is Wong or Rosario Dawson? Uh, seems to be like considering how Shang Chi was, that was wild. There's a rumor going on that he dies in Doctor Strange. I hope it's not true. As, uh, as of this recording, as it come out, I'd yet. rather Doctor Strange die. I would too. I mean, well, but I mean, like, <laughs> you know, like it is him. a multiversal film, so like a hundred Wongs could die, and our Wong could be okay. Do That's not wish point. that on anything. <laughs> or maybe they're evil Wongs. Do not wish that on any Wong. That's what we're saying. An uh, evil Wong <laughs> is still better than most things. I I, I like how they introduced Bushman. Who I remember from the comics, he is uh, definitely could be a villain if they do a season two, which I think they will. Yeah, uh, I was shocked by that because they have publicly said that they were not going to include Bushman because he is just incredibly like a racist caricature and like there's not really a way around that. So they said like they actively avoided choosing him to like for this project. And so I was surprised to see him invoked. <laughs> that immediately mentioned him. Yeah. Um, I still think. You know, I still maintain my there's a reason after every episode they say, do you want to watch Eternals? And it's not because it's <laughs> the newest thing, because it's somehow attached to this. I could see, you know, Al, didn't you say at the end of Eternals, like uh, Black Knight gets a call from Blade? Not a call, not a call. It's even dumber. It's literally him off screen talking. That's why I thought I'm like, oh, it's the Watcher. Because like yeah. he's 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 like talking to him from another plane of existence. No, he's just there. He just shows shadows up. because he's he snuck into his office. No. No. It's weird. But I think you could see something like that if we were talking about these the Dark Avengers or the sun, was it Sons of Midnight Midnight Suns you know whatever Midnight I'm not good with syntax Sons uh, of so, Anarchy yeah Sons of Anarchy that's what they are they're just going to be Basically. that's how Ghost Rider comes in they're going to be a biker gang it's going to be great they got a matching vest <laughs> it's a look and a vibe and a mood uh, but I think it really could you really could see something like that where you're seeing like, we're getting Secret Wars we're getting all this stuff so 
maybe there's this new team that's going to form up. I feel like you're going to see maybe more than one or the God Butcher. Ah, I mean, it makes sense in terms of the fact that he butchers gods. There are guards here. I just don't think that's going to be the thing. I think it's still going to be like, I still think it's something like we're going to keep in this supernatural dark realm on earth where it's blade or black knight or something like that. Like something like that is going to be it. But I definitely think we are going to see the, the, the sarcophagus, you know, shaking and it opens up and we just see a hand dramatically. No, we just see the mustache or (laughs) we just see the hand come out and starts twirling the mustache. (laughs) Jim Carrey in Sonic two, which I saw recently. Ah, it's a movie guys. Uh, Let's get into our final segment, which is of course the scales will judge. We rank. I have a theory. I want to. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I think um, my big theory is that I think I'm not so sure if Jake is going to be our cliffhanger or Jake, the third personality. I'm just going to say Jake for the third thing cleaner. Um, I think that this whole episode and the whole series, we've seen a lot of Mark taking on responsibility, taking on burden uh, to the detriment of the people around him. Like he keeps Layla at arm's length because he wants to take on the burden of Khonshu and doesn't want to like run, run this whole thing by her. Um, you know, same thing with Steven. He was hiding all of that from him, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we saw that when he becomes Moon Knight, Steven's trying to tell him that he Khonshu manipulated him. And the first thing he says is, I think he was just giving me an excuse to be who I always was. Um, and I think what we're going to learn is that we haven't seen a lot of, we didn't see the raid that took place. We haven't seen a lot of things where, you know, Mark took great pains to show that he was in, like, he, he remembers everyone from that cafeteria. I'm wondering if this Jake persona is another coping mechanism. He mentioned he went AWOL from the army in a fugue state. I'm wondering if killing people is not really Mark's thing, but that, Jake might take over and do that for him. And Mark is just taking on the responsibility of that as well. And just being like, that's another extension of me. It's not Jake. It's not Steven. It's all me. And I think that's going to lead to uh, like, I, like I've been speculating, he's got to separate himself from Conchu in some way. And I'm wondering if like, it's, it's just, just seems like a good way for Mark to be more of the hero type and, you know, the ultimate villain would be like the acts that Mark did uh, and the, the or that Jake did and the things that he was able to do because of him that Khonshu really wanted. And that's just sort of my theory is we're going to we're going to get Mark let off the hook a little bit, but Mark is not going to let himself off the hook. Interesting. <laughs> I like that. All right, let's get into our final segment where we rate the episode on a scale of 1 to 10. Of course, you guys, give any of your final thoughts on the episode. Al, we're doing this a scale of 1 to 10 what? Oh, um, clear, um, like weird-looking 3D-printed hearts. So on a scale of 1 to 10, clear, weird-looking 3D-printed hearts, how do you rate the episode? Uh, Ken, we'll start with you. Uh, I'd give it an 8.5 out of 10. Uh, And I feel like that 1.5 missing is just kind (laughs) of, it was hilarious hearing Al saying what he did about said earlier about the suit and the implications there. I I quite like the suit and how fantastical it is, but I do understand, but I think not seeing the suit and seeing action, it does leave a little bit to be desired. Um, 
But yeah, it's uh, yeah, eight point five out of ten. I'd say overall, the best episode of the season, hands down, so far to me. I'm gonna go uh, the same. I'm gonna go an eight point five. This really hit me. Um, that uh, there's so many great emotional moments in this. I I very much have personally felt that uh, breakdown in the middle of the street. Mark had. I was like, wow, that is a uh, that is that is as true life as you can get. Uh, I thought there was just Oscar Isaac is brilliant in this. I actually love the uh, something I've bagged on so often in the show is the effects, and I I really enjoyed the effects of the boat. I thought that, and I love the lighting. And people are saying purple is the seems to be the color of a lot of these MCU shows and movies as of recent. And I think that's pretty cool. They're sticking with that. So yeah, 8.5 brilliant performances. I love what they did here. Some stuff here and there that didn't really work, but overall best episode of the, uh, this season so far. Um, Alphonse, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with the same thing with Ken 8.5 for like, I think the whole season has just been a little like "Eh," for me, like the whole time, like, you know what I mean? Like I, there's i think times when we were doing these disney plus shows where we're like holy shit i can't believe i just watched that that was amazing like i feel like loki we had that a lot uh just quality wise of that show and i feel like this show has not been a misfire but definitely the one of the weaker ones thus far um even though this being the strongest episode um that's not saying a lot for just like just the general like the guys that fucking cgi suit really ruined it for me just throwing it, that out there you, you, it's really you died emotionally yeah, when you saw that suit, correct. So eight point five. Uh, I'm excited for the end, um, yeah. and I'm excited for what else is in store for this character because I'm thinking in better hands and in more money, we would uh, get some better use of Mister Isaac Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight. Uh, Alex. So I'll say this about the suit before I get started. I think that the suit looks great in some moments and not great in other moments. And that's just part and parcel with Disney CGI. Like they outsource to a bunch of different uh, VFX studios and in order to make their deadlines. And some of them have the time and the, and the ability to make the shots look great. Others of them don't. And it all gets mixed into one product. And it just kind of stinks because they have some of the best CG that is in Hollywood right now. And they also have some of the worst CG. And it's often in the same exact show or movie. So that kind of... But, but like, point me to an example from the Disney plus verse thus far where we've been blatantly saying how bad the CGI was. Well, I mean like the CGI in that Loki episode where they're on that planet and like the whole world is coming down. Like they just looked like they were in a green screen the entire time that I thought personally looked really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, some like of the, this I still say that looks better than like the plastic cars falling off the mountain in episode one. Yeah. That's that what I'm saying. Like, like, I just straight it, out of like, like you know, like Final Destinations, yeah, three. Like, this is like know how to, was it a rushed production? Like it just doesn't. Yeah, feel... well, we know that this had a, a quick turnaround. It had a quick, a quicker turnaround than a lot of the shows. That and then it has to be come a, out. It has to and, be because, like, you look at WandaVision or ninety nine percent of Loki. Um, the effects are amazing for TV, yeah. like really good, especially WandaVision. Um, and it just feels like it was unnecessary. The suit. To yeah, be but this they're heavily CGI. Evan Feige is just obsessed with CG suits 
all of the characters have CG suits. But they always and look sometimes good. it looks good and sometimes it looks bad. But that's just because they're like, well, we can control like how the cape moves. It doesn't we don't have to worry about wind if we just make it CG. And so then this is what they do. And it's, you know, sometimes it looks good. Sometimes it looks bad. Usually in the same film, it looks both ways. Like I just watched I just rewatched Spider-Man Far From Home recently. And in that movie, the Spider-Man suit looks equal parts horrible and fantastic, depending on what scene, even within the same sequence, it, it, it changes. So it's like, this is just the problem that we have with Disney movies. But um, in terms of my rating for this yeah. episode, uh, to get back on track, um, I would say most of this season yeah. has probably been between a four and a six for me in terms of quality. Right. Uh, and this one, I would give it a solid eight. I really would. I mean, just talking about it, it got me emotional. I almost cried on your podcast. Uh, so I have to give it credit for that. It's not a perfect episode, but it definitely it impacted me in ways that I can't deny. So for that, I'm definitely going to give it an eight. And by the way, I also have to say between this episode and the Northman, which I just recently watched, I have had my fill of hearts and I would really like to stop seeing them. Good call. That movie is filled with people ripping hearts out of other people, by the oh, way. In case you... You're just making me want to see it more. I guess yeah, throwing it around I places. I really want to see it now. Jesus. <laughs> no, no. Great review. <laughs> I mean, that looked good. Uh, uh, Tyler, take us home. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to stick with you guys and give it an 8.5, but admittedly, I'm like a light breeze away from teetering over into nine. Uh, I really liked this it's one. Like... It, yeah, it, 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 it packed an emotional wallop, and I think the most in- interesting thing is now we have our answers about Mark, uh, Mark, Stephen, Jake, Moon Knight. I'm just going to say Moon Knight for clarity. Uh, we have, we have Moon Knight as a fully fleshed out character, regardless of what happens now. I know what, I know where Mark comes from. I know where the powers come from. I know where Steven comes from. And I'm excited that now we have this pretty much finished product in the MCU, there's no hero I can think of that I don't want to see him interact with. There's no character I don't want to see Layla interact with. I definitely want to see more of Ethan Hawke uh, as Harrow going forward. Um, and I'm just, I, I'm just excited by that. Again, the show as a whole, definite pacing issue um, in terms of you know w- w- what we're going to see during the inevitable post-credit sequence where we see how Moon Knight is going to connect to the larger world, you know, that could be a make or break moment as well. But for the most part, if the goal is to introduce someone new to the MCU, this episode did it. All right, gentlemen, that concludes our penultimate episode of Moon Knighting. Uh, Before we get out of here, guys, let's plug all our social media, everything you guys are doing, all the works you're going on. Al, you have the quickest of all of us. So uh, let people know. I am at Al Manorino on Twitter and Instagram. Um, hoping to have some photos this month for the popbreak.com. We'll keep you guys updated, but check out the popbreak.com for all pop culture related shenanigans. Uh, Ken, tell us about your lovely podcasts, all your concert photography, your back out. And tell where people can find all that stuff, man. Yeah, you could follow me on both Instagram and Twitter at Kenami Photo. That's K-E-N-A-M-I. And photo spelt the American way. Bill likes that a lot. It's true, though. I do. And uh, yeah, it's been nice getting out shooting shows again. Um, yeah, you could follow me and see all that stuff. 
I have a podcast called The New Exchange where I essentially interview creatives about uh, the, the, the way their projects influence their, influences their lives and vice versa. We're near the tail end of our fourth season and there should be a fifth season sometime in the autumn. So definitely check that out. Some really incredible people have been on there. Tyler, tell us about uh, ye old USA Insider. Uh, yeah, so I can be found on Twitter at Tyler McCarthy for just general musings, mostly about, uh, I think this week I had a really solid one about a Starbucks cup. So look forward to that. Uh, and yeah, I'm also at USA Insider, um, all things USA Network, including WWE, reality TV, uh, Temptation Island is currently in season. Um, doing a lot of cool stuff over there uh, and just generally working under the NBC Universal banner. So keep keep an eye out for that. Alex Marcus, tell us about the 10,000 things that you do with podcasts. Okay. Okay, so first of all, you can follow me on Twitter or Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. Uh, you can follow my film podcast, Cinema Joes, at Cinema Joes on Twitter. Uh, I wanted to say briefly that you guys have been calling this the Moon Nighting podcast this whole time. And never once give a shout out to New Jersey owns Bruce Willis, who 100% did in the beginning, the first episode. I don't remember it, but I'll I'll take your word for it. But I want to give him another shout out because, of course, he is sadly going through a medical crisis right now that is very sad and fitting for our episode of this podcast as well. Um, and also for Cinema Joes, we just uh, invited a Daytime Confidential uh, podcast host uh, Luke Kerr over to our show to talk about the fifth element uh which is a movie that i had never seen before and i loved it was really fun I, I yeah i know and so you can definitely check go over to um to at senators on twitter or subscribe to us anywhere you get podcasts and listen to that episode of uh the podcast all about the fifth element it was really fun uh, i really enjoyed watching it and and bruce willis is excellent in it um in addition to my stuff, you can also follow uh, the podcast feeds that I shepherd over on popbreak.com. You can click on uh, the podcast tab in on thepopbreak.com. I usually just rattle off a bunch of shows and don't give any contact, so I wanted to very briefly tell you guys what has been going on on those networks lately. Uh, we have on the Pop Break, on Pop Break TV podcast feed, we have Live, Laugh, and Lovey is covering Married at First Sight uh, every other week. We have Blurred Watchers, who recently covered Moon Knight and in addition to Human Resources and the Boys animated uh, spinoff, which they were not a huge fan of. Um, Roses and Rejections, they're usually covering Bachelor and Bachelorette, but those shows are on hiatus, so they've been doing a lot of Netflix shows like Too Hot to Handle and The Ultimatum, which everyone has been talking about. Uh, and also, The Anniversary Brothers covered Legend of Korra, which is a classic that everybody loves. Um, and just this week, we had Goodbye to All That covering Severance, which is kind of like the hot yeah. show of the moment uh, that is not related to the MCU. Uh, so definitely check out all of those shows over there, in addition to our show that I do with Bill and uh, Josh TV break. Uh, we did Slow Horses last month where I uh, lost my mind uh, by the end of that episode. So you definitely hear me talking about cream rising to the top of our of our tea over there. Uh, and then uh, next week, we're going to be covering a very fun t- 
topic as well under the banner of heaven, which is the new Andrew Garfield show for Hulu, uh, which is a very depressing um, crime procedural that we're very excited to be watching. (laughs) And then in addition to that, we also have the Breakcast feed, which has, as Bill said, uh, Bill versus the MCU. Uh, We just put out this week um, an episode on uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, and also uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, Next month, we're going to be doing the next four movies in that phase. So I'll let you check out that when that comes. Uh, The Anniversary Brothers also did Singing in the Rain, which was a great episode. Uh, Podwork Angels is a Rush podcast. If you guys like Rush, they're going through the discography there. Um, And also uh, Marshall's Movies uh, is another film review podcast that we do. And that was covering a Miyazaki classic that you can check out. So that's all the stuff that I've been supervising over on thepopbreak.com. Awesome. Check out thepopbreak.com every single day. I've been uh, the editor-in-chief of the site for 13 years now. Uh, So, yeah, math is my strong point. But since 2009, so, yes, 13 years. Uh, We are on Twitter at thepopbreak, on Instagram at thepopbreak. You could follow me on Twitter, if you must, at bodkinwrites. I should be having something coming out soon in written form about this episode of Moon Knight, probably most likely as a preview piece to the finale. I'll also be reviewing the new David Simon uh, series, the premiere of We Own This City, uh, starring John Bernthal, which is, if you're a fan of The Wire, this is definitely in the same vein and it is very good, or at least I think it is. I still, I might do Tokyo Vice. I am not 100% certain I can do that. Don't do it. I it Save is yourself. It is way too long since it came out, so probably not. Uh, but again, like Alex said, uh, I am the co-host of Bill vs. the MCU, uh, TV Break, and uh, you can find those on all your favorite podcast platforms. So guys, thank you so much for joining us for the penultimate episode of our Moon Knighting uh, review series, and we will see you for the finale.